Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and today I'm joined by two of my friends and fellow podcasters, 
from the Evil Never Dies podcast. I have Brett and Carl. Guys, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us on, Jimbo. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, definitely. So in case you guys don't know, uh, Carl and Brett host a a podcast called The Evil Never Dies. Uh, Brett is a big Michael Myers fan, so I'm assuming that's where the name (laughs) came from. Um, But their podcast is about uh, uh, heavy metal music, rock music, uh, horror movies, um, free-for-alls where they just talk about everything. They're big uh, into haunts. Uh, They do a lot of haunted houses. And uh, Brett likes to drink a lot. So (laughs) what we discovered there is uh, they're a good good group of guys. So um, I thought it'd be cool to bring them on and kind of do a crossover uh, into the podcast world where we talk about... uh, Friday the 13th, the original Friday the 13th. I know they haven't covered it yet because I've listened to them and they just like to jump to like Friday the 13th part six. (laughs) (laughs) Which we did. (laughs) Right. So um, would you guys like to say anything before we get going? Uh, Just thanks for having us on, man. I'm very excited about this. This is actually our first co-hosting gig with another podcast. So First collaboration, huh? Called yeah, first, first collab. Yeah, good movie to start with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know what? It doesn't have to be the last, man. I'd like to do this more often with you guys if you guys want. So anything to help fellow brothers out. So let's jump right into it. Friday the Thirteenth. It was actually you know released in in 1980. I was three years old, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm a young one. Um, the director was uh, Sean S. Cunningham. The writer was Victor Miller. Uh, the producer was also Sean Cunningham. The composer was Harry Manfredini. And uh, you know that famous, uh, the famous, uh, whatever they say, you know what I mean? Uh, the, yeah, you know, the, I call it the Jason noise. Right. Um, and I got something in my notes where we talk about it, but I've read two different conflicting things. One of them, it's actually Harry Manfredi's voice uh, slowed down where he was saying something. And the other one is uh, Tom, uh, what's his name? Uh, Help me out. Special effects guy, Tom. Uh, Tom Savina. Savina. I couldn't think of his last name. Yeah. Somebody says it's him. So when I get to that in the notes, we'll we'll discuss that. Uh, the cinematographer was Barry Abrams. The editor was Bill Frieda. And the casting director was Julia Hughes and Barry Moss. Now, for a horror film, this was writing on the coattails of Halloween. We all know, uh, even Sean Cunningham and them have said that they drew inspiration from Halloween. So... You can see some of that throughout this film, but their budget was only $550,000 for this movie. Um, with today's inflation, and it's only going up from here, we both know this, uh, it um, was $1.951 million. Uh, so gross worldwide, it made $39,786,892, so it did very well. And yes. with inflation, that would be $141,135,308. So... Needless to say, I think it was a pretty big hit. Exactly. So, uh, go ahead. Started the kind of, again, kind of footing off of Halloween, but it sort of started its own subgenre of uh, slasher films, I thought. Right, right. And uh, we'll get to that in a bit. I can't, I can't go ahead and destroy Brett right here in the front with Not Powell yet. Versus Not Jake. yet. We'll get there. Uh, but it was released on May 9th and, and 1980. So um, a little bit of the technical details before we get into Brett with the casting. It was uh, only a runtime of 95 minutes. Uh, the sound mix was mono. 
Uh, it was obviously a color movie. The aspect ratio is 185 to 1. The camera was a Panavision Panaflex. The laboratory was the movie lab in New York. Uh, the film length is uh, 2,511 uh, 2, meters. Um, and the negative format was 35 millimeter. The process was spherical. And the printed format was 70 millimeter blow up slash 35 millimeters. Um, it did win some awards, or at least were nominated for some awards. Um, I'm not going to go through some of these because some of them are later on when they get like the box sets of all eight of them. Um, I don't really count those. So from 1981, it was nominated for the grand prize for Alvarez Fantastic Film Festival by Sean S. Cunningham. And in 1981, it got nominated for two Razzie Awards. Do you know what the Razzie Awards are? The no, Raspberries. They're basically stinker of movies. So yeah. the, the worst movie. It was nominated for the worst supporting actress for Betsy Palmer. And it was also nominated for the worst picture by Sean for Sean S. Cunningham. But then in 1980, it was also uh, nominated for the best film for Mistfest at Mistfest for Sean S. Cunningham. So you had a lot of different people like it. Some didn't like it. I know Siskel and Eber personally hated this. Uh, <laughs> and I think it was Siskel actually gave out Betsy Palmer's address and it was the wrong address telling everybody to, you know, don't hire her and all that. So uh, he made a mistake and actually published the wrong address. So somebody was getting all this hate mail from whoever. Really? I didn't know that. That's yeah. pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, most of this was filmed in New Jersey. Um, some of the, uh, like the gas station and uh, the cemetery, some of that stuff is still there. Um, I got a little bit more of that in my notes. So, Brad, if you want to go ahead and take away the casting. All righty. Uh, first off, we have, as you said, Betsy Palmer as Mrs. Voorhees, Adrian King as Alice, Harry Crosby as Bill, Janine Taylor as Marcy, Lori Bartram as Brenda, Kevin Footloose Bacon as Jack, Mark Nelson as Ned, Robbie Morgan as Annie. Peter Browers as Steve Christie, Rex Everhart as the truck driver, Ron Carroll as Sergeant Tierney, Walter Gorney as Crazy Ralph, Willie Adams as Barry, Deborah S. Hayes as Claudette, Sally Ann Golden as Sandy, and last but not least, Ari Lehman as young Jason Voorhees. Mm -hmm. And did you know he has a metal band? Who, Jason? Yep. His metal band's called First Jason. And that's why he's even better than Michael Myers. Oh, easy. <laughs> oh, man. wow. All right. That's about enough of that. There we go. All right, Carl. Um, if you were trying to describe this movie to get somebody to watch this movie, what would you your synopsis be of what this movie is about well let's see i guess you know it starts off in 1958 at the uh, camp crystal lake and you got two camp counselors wanting to go do the naughty stuff together and somebody kills them they're dead so that's sort of an interesting okay what just happened so then you jump ahead what about 20 years and oh. all these kids are trying to get the they reopened Camp Crystal Lake. 
so they can be camp counselors. Right. And um, I think it's also important to know that uh, also a kid had drowned, I think, in 1957. Uh, oh, we forgot about that. Yeah, that's what <laughs> yeah, crazy Ralph. I think Ralph tells them a lot of that. You know, there's kid died out there a year before the right. counselors were all killed. Right. So, yeah, we, we got a drowned young boy and people warned him, don't go out there. That place is cursed. Yep. Um, yeah, I just. I love this movie. <laughs> I love this whole series, but we'll get to it. Um, so uh, basically, uh, the Brett mentioned, or sorry, Carl mentioned that the little boy drowned. I think in 1957. While well, they 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 say that he should have been watched because he couldn't swim very well. He couldn't swim well. And I had read somewhere um, in one of the scriptures some that um, he was jason the boy that drowned was jason but they, they they were trying to make him a mongoloid boy i read something where he had scoliosis you know they were just trying to put different things in there but it never actually comes out and says in the movie why he couldn't swim or anything like that so um but then now that the camp's being reopened uh counselors start getting killed again and you don't know what's going on so but crazy ralph he's always there to say you're doomed you're all gonna die you're basically. doomed it's um, a curse. Yeah, it's cursed. He he's got all kinds of warnings for people. And and you know, at the beginning of this film, well, what's her name? Is it is it Annie? The one that's walking? Uh, she's she's the new cook. Is it is her name Annie Brett? Uh, I believe so. Yes, it is Annie. Annie. Yeah. So you know, she's she's walking through town and she's just trying to get the campus leg. And she's backpacking, so I don't know where she's backpacking from. You know, or she's or she hitchhiked this far and never really says that I remember. Um, so she gets to town and she goes into this restaurant, you know, she's like, Hey, can somebody tell me which way is, you know, camp crystal Lake. And they're all camp blood. You know, everybody just stops. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's uh, Pee Wee Herman. When large, he says, can somebody tell me about large Marge? You know, and they're all like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Carl. What was he saying? Oh, just the, you know, they were trying to warn these kids, you know, this place, you don't want to go there. 20 years ago, yep. bad stuff happened, but of course they're not going to listen. Well, no, the movie would be over. <laughs> the movie would be over. Like, oh, well, let's not go to Camp Blood. Let's go <laughs> there. And then the Paramount logo would come up in the end. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we got to get them there. Right. So um, they asked, uh, I think it was the waitress lady says, hey, can you, there's a truck driver in there. She says, hey, can you take her, you know, on up down the road because it's still quite a while away. And he's like, sure, it's on the way. I can drop you off at a certain point. So she gets in and he starts talking about, you know, you don't want to go there. Have they told you what happened, you know, about the murders and about the boy drowning and all this? And she's like, oh, I'll be okay. I'm just supposed to, he said, have they told you what you're going to be doing there? He's like, she's like, yeah, I'm going to be cooking for 50 kids. So she's the cook. So he drops her off by the cemetery and she starts walking down the road again. Um, then you flash over to what uh, the counselors and they're all singing. Uh, they're all there. No, no, actually it's Kevin Bacon and the uh, girl and the other guy are driving down to uh, Crystal Lake Two in that truck. And they get there and I think Bill's out there chopping wood and he just wants everything painted. He wants everything, you know, he's got a time, a time that everything has to be done. He wants things to get progressed so the camp can get done and ready to go to bring in the, the, the camp, uh, campers. Um, so they're still trying to do some work on this, but of course he has to go to town for some more supplies. 
And so all the counselors are there and they're like, hey, let's go swimming. <laughs> you know, we're not going to do any work. He's going to be gone for a while. Let's go swimming. Yeah, the boss is away. So let's play. Yeah. Yeah. When the boss is away, the mice will play. Right, Brett? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, they decide to go swimming. Um, and you can tell there's a couple of them that are kind of a couple, if you will. Um, and they're still trying to do the naughty things that uh, Carl had mentioned to uh, during his synopsis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, basically, uh, Annie's, uh, walking again and she gets picked up by this Jeep. Um, and you never see who's driving the Jeep. It's, it's really crazy because the Jeep that, uh, a bill owns a Jeep that he's going to town in and this Jeep that picks her up, it's the same Jeep in the movie. They only use one Jeep for both things. Um, uh, but you never see who's driving the Jeep when the picks up Annie, um, and she starts driving down the road and the Jeep starts going down the road real fast. And they pass the entrance to Camp Crystal Lake. And she's like, hey, uh, you know, you passed there and you can just see her speeding up. Well, this causes Annie to do like a jump out of the Jeep, does a somersault. It looks like she hit her head pretty good, but she was a, 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 a gymnast. So I guess she knew how to, to land properly and all that. And she kind of tweaked her, tweaked her leg, if you will. So she starts limping through the forest, <laughs> running through there because you see the Jeep back up and you don't see, then you just start seeing feet chasing her. And one thing I like about this movie, um, even at the very beginning um, when they kill the two counselors is you never see the killer. You only see the expression on their face and it goes like that slow motion, you know, at the beginning. Um, yeah. Then you have the Friday the 13th pop up there with the glass uh, breaking. I thought that was really well done too. So. Yeah, but I do like the fact that you don't know who the killer is. It is a mystery. Right. Because by this point, there is no Jason. You don't see, you just, it's just some mysterious killer. Right. So it does make it different than the other Friday the 13th movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it makes it different than Halloween, too, because you know Michael was a psychotic lunatic that had killed his sister at a very young age, and he escaped a mental institute. So you knew who the killer was in that. It's just trying to stop him. Here you have no idea what's going on. No clue. Yeah. No clue. And uh, so all you see is those feet walking and then, you know, poor Annie, you know, ends up getting what a hunting knife to the gut, I think. Yeah. So the cook is now dead in the forest. Um, so you still going to cook the food. <laughs> you still don't know what's going on. <laughs> so um, of course, you know, they go back and, uh, the one guy's at the uh, girls at the archer range trying to fix something. And you see an arrow shoot by, you almost hit her. Um, and it's the crazy goofy guy out there just acting stupid, um, which is a lot of foreshadowing of some of the deaths in the movie. Um, if you pay attention, there's a lot of foreshadowing of things that happen. Um, so I don't want to give too much away. I don't want to walk through the whole movie because I think people should watch it. So I'm going to jump to the trivia and hit the most important stuff. But basically some of these counselors start dying off one by one by one, uh, sometimes by two, <laughs> um, but yeah, sometimes by two a pretty gnarly deaths, man. The the one that yep. gets me is the Kevin Bacon one with the arrowhead coming through there and twisting. Yeah. Uh, I got some of the uh, inf ex interesting information in my notes about that. So let's just go ahead and jump into there. And then if you haven't seen this movie, please watch it. Um, you know, when you when I think if I'm thinking outside of the Universal Monsters, because those are my favorite, um, I think there's really three franchises that you go to. It's Halloween, it's Friday the 13th, and it's Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, when they came out with those three, it basically gained more popularity back into the horror franchises 
um, then because it had gone dull, stale there for a minute. Um, what was it after the last horror film? What was the last one, Carl? Or, uh, Carl do you remember? What was it in the, the last what? The last Hammer film. The last Hammer horror film was, I believe, I think it was the. I can't think right offhand exactly which one, but I know they did one, uh, the Christopher Lee, where he, he um, like tried, like resurrected the devil's daughter. And it just wasn't a very good movie. No, but I'm saying that was what, earlier 70s? Earlier 70s, right. yeah. By so the, mid-70s, Hammer had pretty much shut down. Right, so when Michael Myers came out, it was new again, it was fresh. It was new again. Right, and so then this spit, coattailed off of uh, Halloween and then Nightmare on Elm Street and all that. So Because we had the whole exorcist phase coming after that, and everything was about possessions and ghosts and when when Halloween came out, that was sort of the beginning of the slasher film. Mm-hmm. And the whole new genre would soon follow. Right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. For those of you that haven't watched this movie, I'm going to say a lot of spoilers. So let's go ahead. If you haven't listened, watch this movie, turn it off, or I'm going to give away spoilers right here because um, I'll give you like a little three seconds to turn it off because I can't do some of these notes without telling who the killer is. Um, so here we go. Um, we all know that Jason doesn't appear in this movie till the. All right, there we are. The curse of bread has struck the first collab. Why would I expect anything different? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm just hoping we didn't lose all that audio from the begin from what we just did for the good hopefully not 30 minutes or whatever it was. So basically, um, if that was the break you were needing. So I don't do any spoilers. Um, Jason doesn't even appear in this movie till the very end. Um, the killer is actually Jason's mom, who was a counselor there. Um, she was the cook, in fact. Um, and she's the one that's been going around killing everybody. Um, so uh, and and what a great death scene she had um, off with her head. I mean, it was pretty. Yeah, that was definitely some good with just a pipe. Yeah. It wasn't even a, anything sharp. It was a dull pipe. <laughs> yeah. And she was just swung pretty hard, man, because it came clean off. So um, I just wanted to get that out of there before I start going there, because you're going to be like, who's Betsy Palmer? Well, that was Mrs. Voorhees. And then, you know, some of the stuff that we talked about. So uh, Betsy Palmer said that if it were not for the fact that she was in desperate need of a new car, she would have never had accepted the role of Pamela Voorhees. In fact, after she read the script, she called the movie a big piece of what Brett would say um, over the years, <laughs> however, uh, Palmer did not warm up to uh, did warm up to the film as she became a more famous than infamous uh, and made appearances at conventions and stuff. She would even take pictures with Jason in the hockey mask, you know, as mama's boy or whatever. So um, it's, it's just amazing. I don't even, they don't even say her first name is Pamela. I don't think that comes out until Friday the 13th part four, if I remember correctly. Um, so uh, that's, there's that. Um most of the locations of the set were there. The movie was filmed at Camp Nobi Bosco in New Jersey. The camp is actually still in operation and it has a wall of Friday the 13th from 1980 memorabilia uh, to honor the movie that was set there. The crew only had to build the bathroom set from the movie. So you take what you get, right? Instead of spending, no wonder they're yeah, yes. so low. They just actually, you know, they, they, I think they had to make a big donation to the, the Boy Scouts or the camp or something. Uh, to make sure that they got that. But if it's saved on your budget like that, I don't think they would mind. 
Um, Tom Savini uh, was uh, one of the first crew members on board for the film because the producers idolized his special makeup effects from Dawn of the Dead, which was a great movie. Um, while most of the cast and crew stayed at local hotels during filming, some of the most dedicated, including Tom Savini and Tasso in Stavar- Stavarikis, stayed at the actual campsite. They had Savini's Betamax VCR and only a couple of movies such as Barbarella and Marathon Man on videotape to keep themselves entertained. So each night they would watch one. To this day, Savini says he can recite those movies by heart. That's funny. Yeah, it is. <laughs> the Betamax. Betamax, yeah. Uh, hey, I've actually watched movies off them before, so. Well, yeah, Brad, that's because you're old. That's, that's showing <laughs> <Yeah>. my age. <laughs> I remember Betamax, but I remember we had VHS, so I never bought it. I think I saw a Betamax once, and it was, like, huge. And I'm like, what is that? Yeah, and they were expensive, too, back in the day. Well, DVD players were expensive. I think the first one I got was $400 back then. So, you know. I think I paid 700 for mine. Yeah. I could not wait. What was the first movie you got on it? Actually, I remember it was Lord of Illusions, yeah. uh, the Clive Barr uh, movie. I bought, I bought two. I bought um, Backdraft and I bought The Fifth Element. So... Those were- the second one I bought was Brett will like this was was D Snyder's Strangeland. And I still own that DVD because it never came out on Blu-ray. Ah. I still still got it. Brett, do you remember your first DVDs you bought? No. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't think I actually had actually had a DVD player until they'd been out a few years. So uh yeah, I was still watching VHS probably all the, all the way up until 2000. So I still got some VHS tapes. I ain't gonna lie. I still got my Star Wars widescreen editions and all that. Um, filming lasted for 28, only 28 days. Um, now here's something that the PETA people are not gonna like. Uh, do you remember the scene where they go into the the one girl goes into the uh, cabin and there's that snake in there? And she, you know, yep. she calls, she starts yelling for everybody to come in there. So all they all come running in there. The one guy's got the machete. It was an, a real snake. It was actually, they had asked somebody to bring a snake in. So the pet owner didn't know they were going to kill it. <laughs> so when oh. they actually chopped it up with that machete, you know, where he cuts it, hits it twice. And they say that the guy started crying on the set because he didn't know it that is. his snake was going to get killed. His pet snake oh. is dead. Poor snake. Oh, well, hey, man. Uh, that's hey, at least he's famous now. You know, the snake's famous. Um, the snake's a snake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, probably one of the most famous snakes, what Damien from uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, remember, <laughs> with Earthquake sat on him and squashed him in the back. That's a, that's a wrestling thing. I don't know. I know. Brett. Hey, that's another one of my worlds is wrestling. Oh, me too. So, Brett, Brett again, we got to get Brett up to date. So, uh, but that, but the snake scene. It was in the original script and was actually an ideal from Tom Savini after he had his, uh, an experience in his own cabin during the filming. So that was thrown in there because I guess there was a snake in his cabin while they were staying there. Um, let's see. Willie Adams was a production assistant for the film, and he spent, although he spent most of his time behind the camera, he's actually the Mel Camp counselor in the 1958 scene, that, uh, and he has the distinction of being the first person killed in the Friday the 13th film franchise. So it's nice to see when producers and stuff like that actually get a little screen time too 
Um, little little cameo. Yeah. Uh, the the working title for the script was a uh, long night at Camp Blood. And Victor Miller, as we had talked about, admitted that he purposely was writing this except to John Carpenter's Halloween. So um, around 19 minutes into the film, the special effects supervisor, Tom Savini, performed the arrow shot that narrowly missed Brenda when she was setting up the archery target. So Savini actually shot that arrow, too. Uh, now, th- I thought this was interesting, Brett. You'll like this. There's a township named Voorhees in New Jersey, which is only about eight miles away from Haddonfield, New Jersey. So, uh, which was the inspiration for Force Halloween, uh, the fictional town. Uh, the documentary Halloween 25 Years of Terror shows a picture of a road sign that lists Voorhees right under Haddonfield. The township was named from Foster McGowan Voorhees, the governor of New Jersey from ni- 1899 to 1902. The surname Voorhees is of a Dutch heritage. It is also a common family in New Jersey uh, named. So I thought that was very interesting that not only did they draw inspiration from it, but the, the township and the city are really close together too. So. That is a cool little trivia fact. Yeah, it is. Uh, Victor Miller wrote the script in only about two weeks. Uh, and interestingly, Miller never went to summer camp when he was a kid. So very interesting. Did, did either of you ever go to summer camps when you were kids? Yeah, I went to the uh, Salvation Army camp when I was a kid. Kyle, did you ever go? I no, even... I, never, I never did. I, I barely went camping, but like once or twice with my sister. So. Okay. But, there's, know, no, there's no woods here in Texas, hardly. <laughs> no, we have to go to the lakes if we ever did anything. We have lakes everywhere, and they're all all man made. Yeah. We don't. Have, we only have one natural lake in the whole state. Huh. Is that one that I drove over as I was going through Dallas? Is that man made or is that real? Which... It's man made. Yeah, yeah, they're all man made around the here. The only one is um, in East Texas. And it actually goes into Louisiana. Okay. Um, so I said there was the two Jeeps used in the film were the same Jeep. Uh, one is shown with, uh, and the other one is shown without. It's soft top on top. So they tried to save money by saying, oh, that's two different Jeeps. But they just took the top off. So hey, whatever it worked. Right. Um, let's see. Uh, the film takes place on July 4th, 1958 and June 13th um, in the present day. But at no point in the film do they ever mention the year that this has taken place. It just says present day. So I thought that was very interesting, too. Um, Adrian King's scream was the deal maker when she was auditioning for Alice. So if you can be a screen queen, you've got a role. It seems like. Did you know, I didn't know this either until I was doing these notes that Harry Crosby um, is actually the son of Bing Crosby. Um, so he was actually, uh, Oh really? Yeah. From this movie. So I thought that was pretty, I think I do remember that part. Uh, passing. I remember it. Yeah, the, they say that they had to make a sizable donation to the uh, Boy Scout camp, as we talked about. I, I couldn't find the actual uh, monetary donation, but I'm sure it was quite big. Um, yes. So uh, here's that part about the snake. The idea behind the scene where the counselors have to kill a snake they find in one of the cabins was to differentiate the film somewhat from Halloween by having an early fake scare turn out to be legitimate, as well as establish the characters capable of taking action if needed. However, there was no PETA around the film set, meaning they actually took a machete to a real live snake. Allegedly, the owner was standing on the set watching and sobbing when this happened. So. <laughs> Poor guy. Poor <laughs> snake. I wonder if he gave him any money, you know, or you know, body but steak or something. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's that's just that's terrible. Yeah, um, it is. Because the camp was closed during filming and situated in the deep New Jersey woods, 
The cast and crew didn't see much outside interference, but it turned out they had a very famous neighbor, rock star Lou Reed, who owned a farm nearby. We got to watch Lou Reed play for free right in front of us while we were making the film, Soundman Richard Murphy said. He came by the set, and we hung around with each other, and he was just a really great guy. Huh. Do you know who Lou Reed was? Yep. Who was oh, it? I do. Well, give us a little little history lesson on Lou Reed. It's not my music, so Brett, you'll have to hit uh, Lou Reed. He was ba- sort of like a folk singer, sort of maybe. <laughs> not quite like Bob Dylan, but uh, he, he, he really had his own sound. Uh, and then in his later years, he sort of got into like the shock rock stuff too. Mm. But so take a walk on the wild side. That's yeah. a Lou Reed song. Um, yep. this was the, this is sad to say, but it was the 18th highest grossing film for that year. But you got to remember it was going up against horror competition films, such as the shining dress to kill the fog and prom night. So there's a there's some good movies there. Yeah. Exactly. Here, you go, here you go, Carl. You ready? Stampede yep. Wrestling introduced wrestler Carl Moffat as Jason the Terrible, who wore the hockey mask and was billed from Camp Crystal Lake in the late 80s. The gimmick was later taken up in Japan and Puerto Rico by Roberto Rodriguez and has also been used by Tracy Smothers and many other wrestlers, sometimes uh, using such variation as Jason the 13th. <laughs> I do remember that. So see, Brett? Another chalk up to why Jason is better than Michael. We have wrestlers. All right. <laughs> yeah, there's not a Michael Myers anywhere in wrestling, but yeah, they've had several Jasons in wrestling. Oh yeah. Um, this was a uh, this was inspired, as we said, by Halloween, but also by the movie Meatballs. <laughs> Did you ever see the movie Meatballs? Yes. So there, that's where some of the comedy came from. I'm I'm I'm, I'm assuming. Because uh, they were trying to get some of the youth market, you know, some of their cash too. So, while the Halloween movies have lots of music, the Friday the 13th movies have very little music. In fact, there was a decision made by Harry Manfredini to only have music in the movie when the killer was present. That's why there are only brief, quick moments of music in the beginning, but the climax is wall to wall music. So, that's a little different than Halloween too. So, I thought that was pretty interesting too. Uh, Jason, who, if you say Friday the 13th, most people say, oh, it's Jason, you know, but he's actually not even mentioned by name until one hour and 16 minutes into this film. There is a lake located in Pearl, Mississippi called Crystal Lake. Um, also, this film and the sequels uh, of Friday the 13th, they are said to have take place within the same universe as the Nightmare on Elm Street films, which we got the Freddy versus Jason. Did you guys like that movie? I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, we didn't we do an episode on it? We did, didn't we? Not yet. I don't think, I don't we, think we we didn't finish. We we were going to. Yeah. It might have been on the list and I took it off. We'll put it back on. Yeah. I you know the thing about that, man, is I was looking for a really good film there, but it, it turned real com- comedic real quick. You know what I mean? Um, and I know Freddie's more of a comedic. Freddie's more comedic, unfortunately. Yeah, that's why I was like, eh. but I, I just wish at the end of that, you know, when Jason's walking away with Freddie's head and he winks or whatever, like if you would have seen like Michael Myers or Chucky or somebody else where they could have extended it on, you know what I mean? But trying to get all those monsters into the same universe is probably a, a PR nightmare. Uh, it is because of the rights. rights. 
right studios uh, because at the time new line had actually bought jason so they could do the freddy versus jason movie mm-hmm. and uh but uh there's a really good uh fan video of uh i think it's uh jason versus uh michael myers on youtube uh, fan fan made it's, yeah i've seen it's, that it's really good um the screenwriter Victor Miller's only uh, big problem that he had with this film was that uh, the bumbling cop. You remember the cop that comes and asks what the kids are doing at the at the, at the, at there, and they're like, "Hey, we're counselors." And you know, the one guy's out there with a, he- a headdress, almost naked. Oh, you know, he's like, "Oh, yeah." He's like, "Well, we're looking for you know, crazy Ralph. He's out here thing. You know, <laughs> he's said to be seen heading this way, and he was you know spouting his stuff, and it caused a bunches of PR uh, issues, and we got to take him down and all that, and they release him and all that." But he said he, he he didn't really want to have him in there. And the reason was um, because they wanted to make the camp secluded where nobody was going to come help them. They were on their own. So they didn't want to say, oh, well, the police are only a short distance away. You know what I mean? That can come help them and save them. They wanted to actually make it where, what are you going to do? It's you versus the killer. Um, and there's, there's the scene... Um, I forget which kill it is, but the, it shows them stabbing somebody or slicing the throat or something. And you see wearing the, uh, like a suit jacket, which I thought it kind of looked like Ralph. So it kind of threw you for a swerve right there. Cause you thought, well, maybe this is Ralph as the killer. Um, so I thought that was really well done too. Um, yeah. So Siskel, he didn't even like jaws or alien or even silence. He of the didn't Lord. like anything. No. Well, and you know, I used to watch them because I was a movie guy and I was like, that movie was good. How can you not say it wasn't good? You know, I, I don't think I ever agreed with anything they said. So, um, <laughs> but they were the ones that got paid the big bucks, I guess. So that's, they were, they true. were wrong, <laughs> but I used to love watching them though. Um, Betsy Palmer, Tells fans she has no idea who this character in the hockey mask is since her son Jason drowned in 1957. <laughs> 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 you know who Jason is. Uh, Adrian King has pictures of FX Tom Savani baking Betsy Palmer's prosthetic head in an oven. So I think that'd be really cool to see. Um, composer Henry Mifferini came up with the now classic Ma 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 attached to the score, and they say it's his voice. And they say that's from uh, remember where uh, Jason's mom's going, kill her mom, kill her, kill her mom, kill him, kill. You know they're thinking they're saying this kill, kill, kill mom, mom, mom. So that's where the key, 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 mom, mom, mom comes from. So that's what they say. It's urban legend is. I've heard that same thing. It was like uh, killer mommy, killer, and it just went from there. Yeah. Um, Producer Steve Miner initially thought it was an idiotic idea to bring Jason back for the sequels. He wasn't your villain. He's just a fragment of someone's imagination. However, despite this, he went on to direct the next two Friday the 13th films starring Jason the villain. (laughs) Uh, Money talks. Did you know, I did not know this, but the producers of Friday the 13th, they also produced a Friday the 13th TV show, even though it has nothing to do with the movies whatsoever. Oh, yeah. yeah. Carl's reaching. Does he got it, Carl? Yeah, it is. The whole series. Is it good? Yeah, it's actually interesting. It's they're going around looking for cursed objects. <clears throat> they they in an antique store, and all these objects got sold off, and they're trying to recollect them all. How but many? Yeah, it it has nothing seasons? to do with Jason. How many seasons was it? Um, episodes, I guess know? three or four. I think it's. Let's see if it says on here. I don't even think it tells you on the box. I think it's four. Is it is it worth watching? 
Oh yeah. It's, it's pretty dated. Right. It's I I enjoyed it. I'll honestly say I it didn't don't think I've watched the whole series since I bought it on DVD, but I have watched bits and pieces of it. I'm gonna have to well, remember the, three seasons. Remember the Chiller Channel? Did you ever watch the Chiller yeah, Channel? Yeah, I had Chiller. Yeah, they played it on there all the time. It was a weekly thing on the Chiller Channel. That's where I watched yep. it at. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna check that out. I think that seems pretty good. So, um, Betsy Palmer and the rest of the cast spoke at a Friday the 13th uh, 30th anniversary conference, which was captured in the recent documentary Crystal Lake Memories: The Complete History of Friday the 13th. It's available on YouTube if you, anybody'd like to watch it. At the conference, Palmer said that when she first read the script by Victor Miller, she said, what a piece of what Brett would say, and threw the script across the room <laughs> into the trash. Uh, Victor Miller, the script writer, was at the conference and heard this comment, and Adriana King patted him on the back consolingly. Palmer said that when she thought about it, she did need the money for a new car, and the movie would probably come and go very quickly, and no one would ever see it, and it would all be quickly forgotten. So she decided to take the job. Little did she know the movie would become a phenom, and would be the main thing she would be remembered for in her career. That's all I remember her for. <laughs> she was kind of annoying in this. <laughs> um, there's an old movie. Um, everybody compares this to Halloween. But there is an old um, movie uh, from 1945 uh, from Agatha Christie called And Then There Were None. Um, Although technically a detective mystery. It is considered one of the original slasher movies and is very similar structure to Friday the 13th. Ten people isolated in a remote house, a prophecy at the beginning of the story that will they will all be killed, and the people are killed off one by one in gory fashion by a mystery killer. The bodies turn up in random places, decorated in hideous ways by the killer to taunt the survivors. Until the ending, when the final girl faces off against the killer, it was the prototype for other slashers, including Psycho, Halloween, Friday the 13th, and coincidentally there are ten victims of both Friday the 13th and then and there were none so i've never seen that movie i, I think i need to look for it though so i think we do too yeah yeah that sounds interesting for sure yeah. so I, I remember what that year movie. did you say that was 48 45 i do believe 45 yeah i remember the movie but i've never seen it but i remember remember it if that makes any sense yeah um and then there were none is the name of that if you want to write that down i think i'm gonna, maybe that could be one of our next collabs we do um if we can find copies of it um, 19, it's, uh, uh, Agatha Christie. Actually, yeah, okay. That werewolf movie we did was actually sort of a subgenre from that the Agatha Christie book. She was a good author. The the, the Beast Must Die. It it sort of delved down from there. Yep. So uh, yeah, we'll try to find that movie. Yeah, we'll try to do it. Maybe we can get together here in a little bit and do another one. Yeah. Um, Steve Miner was the only person that's crossed over from the Friday the 13th films to the Halloween films, having directed both Friday the 13th Part 2 and Halloween H2O. He's also the only person associated with the production to have a character named after him, Steve Christie. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, Brett. Kevin. What? Kevin Bacon <laughs> shaved his armpits for the bedroom scene, just so you know. Oh, really? Ooh. Yeah. Didn't want no greasy bacon. <laughs> Uh, uh, an opening weekend, this film reportedly grossed over 10 times the production cost. So, I mean, it, it just went, it just went crazy. Um, this film is also rumored to have been inspired by the real life Lake Bodum murders in Espoo, Finland on June 5th, 1960. 
Um, so I, I'm not familiar with that. I haven't looked at that. So I might have to look that up and see what that was about. Um, sadly, um, when you make a film and you're a film star, there are some crazy fans out there that become obsessed with you and stalk you. So that actually happened to Adriana King. Uh, she was stalked by an obsessed fan, terrified she has that her role in part two be small as possible. She didn't take any other roles or make conviction appearances for almost 20 years after its release because of this. That's wow. Sad. And I, if I remember, I think she gets killed off pretty early in part two, right? I she think does. So. But yeah. So, that, I mean, that's sad, man. You know what I mean? But um, Here you go, Brett. Friday the 13th is the number one entry on the list of horror franchises with the most nude scenes. Okay. So Jason's got Michael there, too. <laughs> uh here's another one now this is going to be interesting and i I, i'm going to see if i can find it but there is a podcast by quantum recast i think the name took friday the 13th out of 1980 and recast it into the year of 2005 with relevant actors from that year in friday the 13th 2005 jason goes to disney world oh no (laughs) Oh, (laughs) it's got to be good. I'm just saying. So it was like a fan film, or no? It's a podcast. Oh, it's a podcast. I wonder if it's like an audio drama, like an audio drama. It sounds like yeah, an audio comedy in this case, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, Website Mr. Skin posted the top ten horror franchises with the most female nude scenes. List includes uh, Witchcraft, which has 77. Friday the Thirteenth has 49. Hellraiser has 24, Wrong Turn 17, Piranha 16, Hostel 14, Silent Night, Deadly Night 14, Halloween 14, and Amityville 9. So uh, there's another sad fact about the snake getting killed. Um, During the first few weekends of the film's release, makeup and special effects artist Tom Savini would go into theaters for the last five minutes of the show to see the audience react to Jason emerging from the lake and grabbing Alice. So he went a little undercover. I, people can't do that anymore because you're too famous. With all the social media now, they're going to know who you are. Yeah, they'd go Facebook Live on you immediately. <laughs> yeah, we look who's in yeah. <laughs> uh, Tom Savini actually doubles for Brenda in the shot in which her body is thrown through the window. Um, if you remember where she's dead and they've got her like the board wrapped around her and the rope all around her. Uh, the body count is 11, uh, which is including the real snake. Uh, R.I.P. Snake. Uh, In the scene where Bill is found impelled to the door with Arrow, his eye twitches continually because the eye effect that Tom Savini applied was actually burning Harry Crosby's eye and causing him excruciating pain. (laughs) I bet. um, We talked about that kill, 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 cha-cha-cha. Betsy Palmer only worked on the film for 10 days, for which she received $1,000 per day. In 1980, that's pretty good money. That got her a good car. Yeah, it did. <laughs> uh, years before the film was ev- ever even conceived, Betsy Palmer spent her summers growing up on Crystal Lake in Warsaw, Indiana. So that's not too far from here. Um, okay, so here's the here's the probably my favorite death scene with that arrowhead comes through. I told you I had something special with the arrowhead come through. So for his death scene, Kevin Bacon had to crouch under the bed and insert his head through a hole in the mattress. Then a latex neck and chest appliance was attached to give the appearance that he was actually laying down. Getting the uh, setup to look right took several hours, and Bacon had to stay in that uncomfortable position the entire time. For the bloody final moment, Tom Savini, also under the bed, would plunge the arrow up and through the fake neck. 
while his assistant, also under the bed, operated a pump that would make the fake blood flow up through the appliance. To further complicate things, the crew needed someone else to stand in for the killer's hand as it held Kevin Bacon's head down, and they settled on still photographer Richard Fury. So after several hours of setup and latex building and planning, it was finally time to shoot the scene. And when the moment of truth came, the hose for the blood pump disconnected, knowing that he basically only had one take. Otherwise, they'd have to build a whole new latex appliance and set up everything all again. Tasso and Starfickus grabbed the hose and blew into it until the blood flowed out, saving the scene. He said, I had to think quickly, so I just grabbed the hose and blew like crazy, thankfully causing a serpentous arterial blood spray. The blood didn't taste that bad either. <laughs> but, you know, That's how funny. long How long would that have taken to set up and then oh yeah, ruin it because the blood didn't come out? Because you can't just CGI that stuff in back then either. Not then. No, no. Not on, not on the budget they had. Especially. Have you seen the Tom Savini documentary? that He went on about that, saying that's one of the hardest scenes he's ever done in a movie. I haven't watched that, but wasn't that on Shudder? Yeah, I think it's on Shudder. Yeah, I might have to check that out. I have Shudder, so... Um, there's a lot of good documentary stuff like that too. Um, so Betsy Palmer insisted that Sean Cunningham put her in the beginning of the movie at the diner or waving to Annie on the road as she is hitchhiking to Crystal Lake. He didn't take her advice. And I think that would have been really cool to have her in the diner at the beginning, you know, where they're all talking about, don't go to Crystal Lake and all that. Or I don't know about waving as she's hitchhiking. Yeah, but that would have been weird. But have her in the diner scene. You would have never even known her. And yep, you, exactly. Sitting there drinking a cup of coffee or something. You could have had a small flashback, you know, back at the diner where they say, hey, stay away from, you know, Camp Crystal Lake and just have her sitting there drinking in the background or something. You know what I mean? I think it would have been cool, but he's like, nah, they wanted somebody, they wanted to, I guess, shift to Ralph or whoever, you know, because they didn't want you to know who the killer was. Um, Victor uh, Miller admits he was subconsciously uh, inverting the psycho formula where instead of the son having a split personality and pretending to be the mother, we have the mother pretending to be the son. So I thought that was pretty cool, too. Uh, the kill. Uh, we already talked about that too. And last but not least, Kevin Bacon claims that he asked to sign screenshots from his death scene in this movie more than any other movie he has been in. So I think that's pretty interesting. So Brett, we'll start. Well, we'll start with Carl, and then we'll go around. We'll go. We'll let Brett go after him, and then I'll go at, to finish it up. So Carl, what's your thoughts and feelings on Friday the Thirteenth, the original? Well, definitely. Uh groundbreaking although it was inspired by halloween it um special place for me um it's it's always seemed to forget at times that jason wasn't it until the very end Mm -hmm. and um uh, i enjoy the movie a lot and i'd give it a four whatever me and brett call them devil Devil horns devil horns yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah i just give you know, just um it had a few moments that but yeah it's definitely four star movie brett well i seen this when it first came out in 1980 i was 13 uh actually my mom took me to see it but she went and seen a different movie and i went and seen it <laughs> and uh yeah i love this movie uh That, especially the end when he jumps up on the boat, man, that scared the crap out of me. That, when you were in the movie theater by yourself? Yeah, creepy moment. Just, just, just the way he did it, you know. Did that a few times. Sometimes, 
my mom was a big horror fan, but sometimes she didn't want to see some of the stuff I wanted to see. So I had to go by myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's a good movie. Um, I I'm, I'm grateful that it, it helped carry on the legacy of uh, horror franchises because I think there were so many things that came out after this, uh, that could revert back to Halloween and this, if you put this movie up against Halloween or even the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, those I'm going to say standalone films, Halloween and Texas Chainsaw Massacre will beat it every time. However, what I will say is I think that the Friday the 13th series as a whole is better and more concise throughout all of them than Halloween, where you have to have a pie chart and and and, and all this to follow the storylines. You got multiple universes of J, uh, Michael Myers. And I think exactly. I think the Jason one flows a lot better. Um, it's it, it it gels together a lot better. So uh, definitely, I like this movie. If we're going four out of five, I, I'd have to agree with Carl. Um, if we're going ten, it's probably an eight or nine out of ten for me um, because it kickstarted the franchise that I, I love. Because Jason is my favorite. I know Michael is yours, um, but I, I'm just glad that we had had this opportunity to have more scares in your life. You know, what I mean because. If you walk into, let's say, your local haunted house or your 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 local what spirit Halloween or whatever it is down there or everywhere, um, you go in there, you're definitely going to see the Freddies, you're going to see the Jasons, and you're going to see the Michael Myers, you know, and you'll see some of the old Universal monsters too, but um, and you'll see Chucky and on and all them, but you know, what do you think, or do you think that we will ever have another run? Like from 77, was it 77 when Halloween came out? 78. To Nightmare on Elm Street and Jason. Do you think we will ever have another run of new material or new monsters created that can continue the process going forward? Or do you think that this was as good as it's going to get? Well, it'd be nice to have something new. Right. For sure. Well, I mean, you know what Halloween Halloween ends or whatever's getting ready to come out either later mm-hmm. this year or next year, right? Um, I think a lot of times they try to just capitalize on what they already have instead of – that's what that's my biggest problem with Hollywood. They all want to do these remakes, and nobody wants to think for themselves and, and come up with new stuff. And, yes, you'll make your money, maybe make your money back in a little bit more by either remaking or – um, continuing the franchise as we've seen with relaunching. Texas. Right. Um, I just wish they could come up with other stuff. I, I thought trick or treat was pretty good with Sam, uh, the Halloween boy. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. And we I, have a Sam in the corner over here, actually I back there. But yeah. just, I don't know. I, I, I wish there would be something else, but I don't know if there's going to be, I don't think so. The Saul movies may have been the closest thing that we'll ever have gotten to. Right. Because they've done a really good job with Saw, and then it finally fiddled out. I, I know they're trying with the Conjuring universe, uh, with the Nun and, and, and all that, with Ed and Lorraine Warren. But it's just not the same. Yeah, it's, it's getting not. old. Right. So. Yeah, they, they tried with the Hatchet movies, too, but uh, them sort of got yeah cheesy. Right. They um, weren't really big releases, either. The Saws were pretty pretty big um yeah the conjuring universe it just seems to have gotten pretty stale pretty quick right. i think after about the second annabelle movie it was sort of just like yeah right 
Yeah, that's I mean, I agree, too. And, and, and you know, I know they tried with the, the what was it, the dark uh, universal monsters with, with Tom Cruise, the mummy. Yeah, that was. Well, they dropped the ball. They should have that uh, Dracula, uh, whatever they called it. Dracula Reborn or whatever. Yeah, the, yeah, that they should have made that like the beginning of the new universal dark universe, because I thought that was a strong movie. Mm-hmm. But that Tom Cruise mummy was just not a way to start something. I'd rather I'd rather have the Brandon Fraser mummy uh, be the starting point if they were going that route. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that I was really like that yep, exactly more Indiana Jones than than horror movie. So <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, well, guys, thanks for coming on, uh, Brett. Why don't you let everybody know where they can reach you? Well, you can get us on all the social medias. Evil Never Dies podcast. Uh, email is Evil Never Dies pod at gmail.com uh don't forget your tiktok tiktok it's uh at evil never dies uh twitter is at weird evil nvr dies <laughs> i know you're pretty upset stuff. about that because somebody yeah <laughs> i was pretty mad somebody took it so but uh websites uh www.evilneverdiespod.com uh that's about it. And they can find you. Check on, us out. They can find you anywhere that the uh, like iTunes and uh, Apple. Podcast. Yeah, we're on everything. Okay. Uh, All Carl, the platforms. Carl, why don't you tell um, anybody listening that might be in the area that hasn't heard of you guys about your haunt and that you guys are looking for actors for your haunt for the Halloween weekend or whatever? Yes, um, we're. Well, I'm back to after ten years doing our backyard haunt, which is I have a huge backyard, so it's just not some you know, one room thing. Um, information on that, you can go to www.countkarabi.com, which will take you to our Facebook page and give you all the information about that, or just go to Facebook and search for Count Karabi's museum and, and all of said, our infos there. You said you're looking for actors. Yeah. We're always looking for something. Yeah. So if actors you- looking for people to come through it, you know, and you guys aren't, Go, sorry, go ahead. This is that sort of our relaunch year. Last year was sort of a test, so we're hoping to get a whole lot more people come through this year. So, And you are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, correct? Yes, we Fort, are. Fort Worth. Fort Worth, close to downtown Fort Worth, actually. Yeah, I, I, I just went down there for WrestleMania, and I actually went out to eat with Brett. So, Yeah, we had a good time, man. Good time. So, um, as always, you guys can find us at the Tragedy of Cinema uh, podcast on Facebook group. Uh, we have a lot of fun on there. The evil never dies uh, podcast has a group on there. Um, so, um, if you like what you heard, go ahead and go leave, uh, the evil never dies a nice review and rating, uh, help them guys out. If you're into uh, heavy metal, uh, rock and roll, uh, haunted house stories, or just, uh, listening to Brett complain about how much (laughs) the price of limes have gone up (laughs) at Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, go check them out. I mean, I listen to you guys because I have a two hour drive back and forth to work. I listen to you guys every Monday morning on the way home. So um, you guys help me keep me entertained and awake on the road. So I appreciate well, we, we appreciate well, we you appreciate listening. you, man. Thanks for having us on. No problem. So what I like to do when I end my things, uh, my podcast is I'll say, hey, you know, that's the uh, episodes coming to close and that's a wrap. And then I'll go and cut and we end it. <laughs>